Why on earth would you do that? Anyone ever ask you that question? Because I get it a lot. But that's how our story starts today. N.T. Wright tells the story of a TV reporter starting out. Why on earth would you do that? And she's interviewing this young lady who just won a prize. And the prize was a three-week, all-expenses-paid trip around the world. But she gave it up. Not only did she just give it up, she gave it up. And instead of going on this lavish trip around the world, she gave it up so she could stay home and care for a friend before a crucial and terrifying surgery. And in this moment, the young lady has no answer to that question. And she sits there in silence. It's an awkward moment. And finally, she realized that she had to give an answer. And so she starts out. She says, well, a couple of years ago, I was on drugs. I was kicked out of the house. My family had disowned me. And my friend was the only person who looked after me. She would clean up my clothes after I got sick. She took me to the hospital and talked to the doctors and advocated for me. She stayed up with me night after night as I was going through withdrawals and talked, talked me through all of these triggers that I was having to start using again. My friend even helped me through my court cases. After that, she helped me get a job. And then she says this line, my friend loved me. Then this young lady says, and now that my friend is sick, I mean, is there really a choice? Staying with her is the least I can do. And this young lady's story is such a beautiful example of what, what love does to change a person. And the Apostle Paul found, him in the, uh, found himself in the same scenario as he's talking to this church in Corinth. And he writes the letter of 2 Corinthians to kind of explain, not kind of explain, but he's explaining like why he acts so differently than they expected him to ask. This, this Paul guy was an incredibly different presence as a teacher and going through suffering and acting in this, in this way that was unexpected. And he writes to them and starts telling the story of God, telling the story of Jesus, saying, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. And then in a, in a few verses later, he says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I know there's a lot of clunky English in there and it doesn't all make sense to us on first reading and we're going to unpack that. But my question for us to ponder this morning is, is love logical? Does it make sense? Not always. And I, I, would, I, would, I would suggest that pure love isn't logical. Love in its truest definition, not our culture's definition of just if it feels good, it must be love. If it feels, uh, if it's centered on you, it must be love. The biblical definition of love is outwardly focused and actually loves at the expense 
of the person giving the love. And when you receive that kind of love, oh my goodness, it changes your perspective and changes your life. You, I don't think you can experience real love and stay the same. So love, like we've been looking at, is not logical. And in the scripture we just read, Paul's talking about a sense of love that changes everything, that gives power to face things and do things they would never have done on their own. And at this point of, of his life, Paul's writing this letter as a leader in the Christian movement. He's starting churches all over the Roman Empire and, and giving them advice. And, and much of his letter to the Corinthians, like I've said before, it, it addresses why he acts and lives like he does. Because they were asking him, like, seriously, why do you suffer so much? Why aren't you more like the other people who come in here and teach us? Why aren't you like the other teachers that come through in and out of Corinth, we want and expect something different. And so to sum up much of what his letter says here, Paul experienced God's love and grace. And that's what changed everything for Paul. And Paul in his letter mentions this messianic pattern of, of living and dying that Jesus set up. And because Paul experienced Jesus's love, now Paul follows that same pattern. And that's a powerful thought by, by itself, but Paul doesn't stop there. He also mentions earlier in this chapter that there is a promise that if you follow Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, there's a new life, there's a new body, but also everything around us has changed. There's a new creation. There's this new dimension that's been formed because of what Jesus did on the cross. His death and his resurrection changed all of creation. And Paul actually speaks of the judgment seat of Jesus the Messiah that everyone's going to stand before. It's not really fun to preach about because it's not all warm and fuzzy, but the, the scriptures tell us that someday we will be judged uh, and, and we'll all stand before Jesus' judgment seat. And Paul knew, he even wrote to the Romans, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, there's this sense of responsibility as he thinks of that coming moment when he's going to be face to face with Jesus, who knows all the secrets of every human heart. So that's why he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord in that first scripture we read. And now this isn't like a cowering fear if you're in front of some dictator or something like that. Paul is saying, we fear the Lord because we stand in awe and inadequacy before the living Lord of all, King Jesus. But it also explains why he doesn't meet the expectations of the Corinthians. They're saying, why on earth would you live this way? Well, it's because of the love that redeemed him and cleaned him and made him right before God. And as, as Paul's telling God's story, he's not done. He says, remember that this gathering of people, like we're supposed to live like we're out of our minds because we're following Jesus according to the world standards and the way everyone else around us is living. They're going to look at you and say, I think you're out of your mind. So he wasn't a respectable teacher that fit their expectations according to Greco-Roman culture. But he reminds them, like, 
that's fine. You think I'm out of, out of my mind? I don't work for you. I work for Jesus. I work for Jesus because of what Jesus has done for all of us. So the bottom line reason that Paul went through everything and suffered and endured everything he did isn't because of some fancy theory or something he made up in and of himself or how smart he was. And it wasn't because he feared lightning bolts from heaven. It was because of love. When Paul was at his lowest, when Paul was headed the wrong direction, he, he had the pleasure of coming face to face with Jesus, which if you read in Acts, it doesn't sound like a very pleasurable experience, but he was rescued violently from the wrong path. He was cleaned up, he was taught, he was, he was, he was redeemed and reconciled to God. Paul got the energy that we all need to put one foot in front of the other and follow Jesus. He got that from love. And Paul, Paul says, Christ's love compels us. The energy that comes from a sense of duty or a sense of fear, that's not sustainable. You know, no matter how much self-control you have, no matter how much grit you have, just on human effort, the path of following Jesus is impossible. It has to come from the sense of, of how much we are loved. And this love can take you in surprising directions because love changes the world. And that's why Paul goes on to explain in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You wanna know why on earth I would do this? Because this whole world has been changed. A whole new world was born and a new way of living goes with it. For those of you who have had kids, you know there's a, a historical, an actual historical mark that happens. There's, there's life BK and life AK. Before kids and after kids. Before kids, my wife and I, we, we had a DVR back then, and we would watch Angela Lansbury on Murder, She Wrote, uh, and just relax, our house was clean. Some nights we would even say, hey, you wanna go out for tacos? And we'd say, yeah. And she would grab her bag, I would grab my wallet, and we would just leave the house. After kids, that don't happen. When, it, when your life changes, maybe it's a new job. Then you get a new boss. You get, uh, you get a new, um, uh, what, is that, what is that word? Um, uh, not public relations. You get a new job. You get all these uh, human, human resources. You get a new HR manager. The rules change. The policies change. And a big portion of your life is different. For those of you who've moved to a different country and lived in a different culture, you have to learn a new language. Maybe instead of shaking hands, you're bowing all the time. Or maybe instead of shaking hands, you're doing like a little kiss in the air uh, away from somebody. And if you, you live according to the old country, it's not gonna work very well for you. So if you live like the old situation, uh, when there's a new situation, it's not gonna go well for you and that's what Jesus did for the whole universe. Scholars say this passage is connected to Isaiah 43, 19, where uh, God inspired Isaiah to, to say, like, to, to reveal God's heart for all of this that we see. 
the verse goes like this. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is God's, this is God's story from Genesis to Revelation. God wants to reconcile this world and humanity, God's creation. He wants to reconcile it to himself. This is what the story of God is. Reconciliation. If you look in the scriptures, God is always moving towards humanity. Adam and Eve in the garden, God walked with them. God redeeming the children of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt and they're, they're in the desert learning how to be human again. God was camped right in the middle of them. When, when the, the nation of Israel was formed and they built a temple, the temple was in the, and God's presence was right in the middle of the people in the most important city. And then again, we see Jesus coming to earth, moving towards us. And in Revelation, we see, we see at the end of time, as we know it, heaven and earth, God moving towards the earth in Revelation 21. God is always moving towards us, God is always moving towards you. And we have the chance today. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Like we have a chance to experience God moving towards us, to lift our burdens. And also uh, with the end goal of us being transformed because we have a part to play in God's mission of reconciliation between people, reconciliation of caring for all of these resources that we've been blessed with. We have a part to play in this. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That word ambassadors there is loaded with meaning. Especially in the ancient world, an ambassador would represent the king, much like an ambassador today would represent a nation to another nation. This, this representation that we get to, to, to play the part, we also get to speak for the king. Like that's a, that's a huge responsibility. I love, the, I love the quote by St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. So not only do we speak for the king, Jesus, with our words, but also with our lives. That may sound intimidating to you, to speak for the Almighty. But remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the road markers for following Jesus? And it's, it's not a linear step, but these are general road markers to, of our path of, of maturity in our Christian life. And the first, where the bread and butter is, where the sweet spot is, the most crucial part is to be with Jesus. So yes, that looks like setting a time apart in your day to focus on Jesus, but I think it also looks like everyday life and turning your heart to him multiple times a day, no matter what you're doing. Doing the dishes, driving someone around, maybe it's a kid to a practice or music lessons or something, just turning, hi God, there you are. Maybe you're about to enter into a difficult conversation. Jesus, I need your strength. Jesus, I need your wisdom. Being with Jesus, cultivating that habit of living in Jesus' presence and an awareness that Jesus is, is around us and in us. And 
as we continue to do that, like Jesus said, remain in the vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches. As we develop and cultivate this habit of of living in God's presence, Jesus changes us. It's passive. We become like Jesus, and then we do what Jesus did. We are God's ambassadors. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going get right to get it right all the time. But that's the outcome of the goal of our life. The goal of our life is to be with Jesus. And as we are, Jesus messes with us. And trust me, it's never boring. No, it's not always fluffy clouds and, and, and going always up and to the right and things get better and better. But as we're with Jesus, Jesus is using everything in our life to form us the thoughts we think, the things we want, the things we do to become more and more like our, like our Lord and then we do what he did. So keep that in mind as we talk about the implications of, of this passage for our life today. You know, this, this tells us that right now Jesus is king over everything. Over everything and, and what he did, his finished work on the cross it changed the whole world. And this, to me, feels a little bit like the matrix. Like, what we see isn't reality. Uh, yeah, stepping on people to get ahead. That's the way our world works. It's not the way it works in God's kingdom. Uh, being blessed when we mourn doesn't feel like the way the world works. Like, oh, something's wrong with you. Like, all these things in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's how reality is and everything else is flipped on, on, on upside down in God's kingdom according, you know, in contrast to the way that this world works. So that's the first implications. Jesus is really in charge. He's holding everything together. And we can choose to live in that reality or we can choose to live in a reality that we've made up for ourselves. And this is the oldest story we have in the Bible goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis. That motif, but it's bigger than a motif. It's not a literary trick. We can choose between the tree of life or we can choose between our own way. We can choose between, uh, we can choose life. I've set two choices before you, life and death. And God says, choose life. So we have the example of Jesus and of the saints that came and followed in his footsteps and have lived according to reality. I won't even say God's reality, like reality, <laughs> the way that Jesus set up. Or we can choose to do things, take the shortcuts, uh, tell lies, live like every, do what everyone else is doing. Or we can follow our teacher. And when we follow our teacher, when we're with Jesus, he's the one that transforms us and eventually the outcome is we do what Jesus did, which brings us back to our story of loving others. This, this young lady who was fighting for her life against an addiction, her life was changed by a selfless love. This prize winner that no one understood, why in the world would you give up this amazing experience to care for your sick friend? I'm sure in the story, her other friends would have come and said, hey, your friend will she'll understand. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But she had experienced love, like going on a trip. It's not even a choice. No way. And as the weeks go on, 
I want us to explore what it would look like for us to experience healing, experience God's grace, God's unconditional love in such a way where we, we couldn't help but by, by reciprocating and, and showing God's love to others. So be, what I want us to do is to be aware of where you're at in that, that very broad strokes journey of discipleship. Are you still cultivating a habit of turning your heart towards Jesus? Awesome, don't give up. Uh, are, you, are you in the process where you're starting to notice, like, oh my goodness, I used to get so upset in traffic and I was so impatient, but now I'm noticing, oh, Jesus is messing with me. I'm, I'm becoming a more patient person. I'm becoming more kind. I'm becoming more loving or, or you know what? I don't care about pleasing people as much and I'm coming out to play. That's a term I use. I'm, I'm saying the truth. I'm holding my ground. That's got to be Jesus. Or maybe you're in a place where you're like, you're noticing God using you as you represent Jesus. So take stock of where you're at. Which part are you looking at? And, and don't get down on yourself. If you're still on the mile marker one, keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, it's okay where, where you're at right now. I love the old saying. You've probably heard it before if you've listened to a sermon. God loves you right where you're at. And God loves you as much as is possible for God to love you. It's not, on your, it's not dependent on your performance. And at the same time, God loves you too much to leave you the same. God's the one that changes you. God is the one that, that does all, all the changing. So here's what I want you to do this week. Be with Jesus. You didn't see that one coming. <laughs> but be with Jesus and I want us to together read about what Jesus has done. Read about God the way, the way it's written here in 2 Corinthians 5 in just 10 verses. I challenge you to read those verses every single day. And as you read through them, maybe you'll remember some wounds that you have. Maybe as you're reading through this, you're thinking of some worry that's, that's weighing you down. As you do, name it. Talk to Jesus about it. Surrender it to Jesus. And if you can't, if you're like, Jesus, I, I can't even surrender this to you. I need your help to surrender it. I have full confidence that Jesus will help you. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, but, but be with Jesus. And at the same time, start asking God for one or two people that, that need to hear about God's love. Maybe they were in church at one point and left because of a church hurt or whatever, or maybe they graduated from Jesus when they graduated from high school, or, or maybe they're just, they don't want anything to do with it. So we don't have to like go step one, step two, step three. Just start praying. You don't even have to talk to them yet. But I want to challenge you to start praying for these people that God would open their eyes but also that God would use you in the coming weeks and months to be an ambassador. And maybe you're one of the people that plays a part along their journey. It's not all dependent on you, but I want you to start praying for these people. And let's see what God does. Let's do an experiment together and let us know how it's going. I would love it if you would either put in the comments or, or direct message us and tell us who you're praying for. I wanna pray with you that we can start Start um, being used by God 
and, and we can actually see God change lives and turn hearts towards him. Let's see what God does. So let's pray. And then, uh, and then I wanna say a blessing over you as you start out on this journey this week. Dear Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts towards you and may we experience your love and your grace this week. Maybe it's right under some of our noses, but I pray that you will open up the eyes and ears and hearts of everyone that can hear my voice right now. May we experience your love and your grace in a fresh way this week. And once again, we, we surrender ourselves to you and ask that, that you, would, you would be with us on our journey, but God also uh, give us some people that we can pray about. Put them into our imaginations right now and we ask that you would reveal your kingdom to them and use us for your glory as only you can do. We're surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for hanging out with us here online. We're praying for you. You can always reach out to us at sgbic.com. And until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. And may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.